Good morning, church family. Hear the word of God from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. It's so good to hear that good morning back. Let me say that again. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I feel so good. Guys, I hope you're doing well this morning. I feel so excited, so pumped. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm so pumped to be here. It's been a long time. My sabbatical just said this is my first Sunday back. So there's like this preaching lack that I've had in the last two months. I might go for a really long time. I'm just kidding. Just, I'm not, not going to do that to you guys. But can I just say, it just feels so good to be back with all of you. This is my first Sunday back after my sabbatical, and it just feels so right. There's something about the family that God called us to be in, called us to do life together with, being back together for like a family meal, a family time, a family worship service. So I want to thank you guys so much for this sabbatical time that I had. It was, it was truly amazing, but I'll be honest with you guys, I was, I was chomping at the bit to get back. The, the church staff had to kick me out of the office a few times. I was trying to sneak in there and try to get some stuff done, and I was, but I was so excited. But I, and not to take away from my time of sabbatical, it was wonderful. I want to thank you guys so much for giving me that time of, of rest, of, of uh, kind of re, re-energizing me, not to, not to mention this time of introspection that you, get, you privileged me to have. So I want to thank you guys so much for this time, but man, it's so good to be with all of you. Now, I'm going to share a lot of uh, what happened during sabbatical, a lot of kind of what God has taught me during that time in the blog that's coming out in the next few weeks, so be prepared for that. It's kind of a teaser for the blog. If you don't read the blog, check out the blog. But in the meantime, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you guys for letting me um, have that time. I love you all so much, and your care for me means the world to me. 
This morning, we're going to continue in our series in the book of 1 John. It's one of my favorite epistles. Pastor Eric and Pastor Danny did a great job preaching through the book to where we are today. So today, we're in the middle part of chapter 3, till the end of chapter 3, and really it's a continuation of chapter, of the beginning part of chapter 3, where chapter 3 looks at the implications of the fact that as followers of Jesus, we are children of God, and that is what we are. That we should let righteousness be ours because our Father is righteous. And it's a clear sign of us being children of God is us being righteous. And so one of the things that John is teaching the church that this is one major way that they can be confident in their salvation. If they were concerned with living in righteousness, then they could tell that the Spirit of God living in them. Then chapter 3 segues into what we're talking about today, and that's this. John concludes by saying that another way to know if you are a child of God, if you're a children of God, is through the test of love. Do you love? Are you loving? Does love reside in your heart? Is love what happens amongst the people? So real quick, I have a true confession to make. When I think of love, I immediately start thinking of songs that go along with love. That's just the way my mind works. For some strange reason, I didn't realize this about myself, but if I have something on my mind, immediately like, I have this song that goes along with that thing humming or kind of playing in the back of my mind. An like, example of this is when I proposed to my wife, I had, uh, we had this all set up, we were going somewhere, and I had a, it was a surprise, I was taking her to the gardens during a trip, but I didn't realize right before I proposed, she said I was humming all the single ladies. I didn't even know that, because I was about to put a ring on it, but I didn't realize that that was like what was going on in my head. That's all I was thinking about. I was like, you know, focus on proposing, focus on getting everything right, but I was in the background, I was just going, uh, uh, you know, so I didn't realize it. She goes, Lawrence, I knew you were about to propose. I was like, how, how did you know? She goes, you were singing all the single ladies, and there was like a ring box in your pocket, but either way. And so all this week, I kid you not, I had this running playlist going through my mind. I mean, true story, this is true. It went from, what the world needs now is, yeah, okay. Then I went to, love me, love me, all right? And then I went to, love me tender, yeah. And then I went to, can't hurry, love, oh, you. There you go, all right, good job. And then I went to, uh, Got me looking so crazy in love. Got me feeling looking so crazy in love. Uh oh, uh. Anybody? No, okay. All week, I kid you not, all week, those songs were just in my head over and over and over again. It's because love is prevalent in our culture. Everyone talks about it, whether they're a Christian or not. This is something that's going on. You love, and love is such an overused word all the time. All you need is love, right? Or, um, you know, you had me at hello, these love stories that just all go with just this idea of love is everything, love is the, and, and we talk about it all the time, and it's such a vague word now, doesn't it? I mean, I said this often when I preach on marriages, I always, I always say love is one of those words that you can use. It's so incredible, so wide-ranging, but you can use the same word for what you feel about pizza, you know, to what you feel about a person, which is so weird, right? Love could be, people use it for, you know, oh, I love this pillow. I mean, you know, I actually said that the other day, oh, I love this pillow as I'm crawling in the bed. <laughs> How did I use the same, what I feel for a pillow is the same thing that I feel for like my wife and my kid? That's just weird to me, all that to say. What type of love are we talking about here in this section of scripture? What does it mean for us as believers when we say, what is the test of love? For us, 
John chapter three earlier, it says righteousness is a test. Now what is love? Verse 11 says, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. John starts off by saying that you've heard this message from the very beginning. Now he may be alluding to the fact that from the first time maybe they heard John preach. This could be the church in Ephesus, and he showed up there, the first time he was there he said, you heard me talk about love, that's all I talk about, love, love, love. Or maybe the time, from, maybe the time that's from what they heard in his sermons as he was there over and over again. As a matter of fact, um, John is known as the apostle of love. That's a nickname that uh, people have given him as called apostle of love. Some say because he was called the beloved apostle. But others, this tr- Christian tradition history says that in his old age, when he couldn't walk anymore, people would carry him out in a chair. And when they would do that, he would greet everyone with his common greeting. His greeting that was his, his known signature greeting was love one another. So even to the dying, even to his old age, even when people had to carry him out in a chair for him to teach, his first thing that he would say to everybody was love one another. But maybe John had something else in mind. Maybe he's gonna, ref- he's gonna go on later on to refer to Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. So maybe his references since the beginning, in the beginning, you heard from the beginning, he's actually referring to the beginning of the Bible. From the very beginning pages of scripture, this is the message. It's not something new. It's not a message that just Jesus brought. It's not a message just the apostles preached. It's the message of all of scripture. Love. We're to love. Now it's very possible that John's connecting the message and saying that's how big this is. And even Jesus says something similar, doesn't he? He says, love God and love people. That's the greatest of all commandments. Now it's also possible that because the people have heard this before, whether by his preaching in Ephesus or by his writings, he's heard the idea of of, of loving one another so much that familiarity breeds contentment. This idea that, okay, I know, I know, John, I heard you say love one another, okay, I get it. But John is intentionally saying, since the beginning, I've told you this, love one another. It's like he's saying, pay attention to this message. It's really important. Don't skip over it just because I say it all the time. Truly love one another. And can I tell you something? As a church and as human beings in this world, I feel like we hear it all the time. Love, love, all you need is love, love, love. And yet, for some strange reason, we struggle so desperately with it. Can I tell you, please, this morning, may you wake up to the fact that love is truly important and you're truly called to love one another. That's superficially, not just a way that says, yeah, I get it, love, okay. But to love one another. I want you to get it. I want you to really grasp what that means because that's element, that's a part. It goes hand in hand with you being a child of God. Verses 12 through 15 says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. John starts off here by helping us define love by giving us two examples of love, a negative one and a positive one. And the first one is a negative one and it's about Cain. Do you guys remember Cain, Cain and Abel, that story? First person ever born on earth. But he's also the first murderer on earth. What an example of the pervasiveness of sin that the first person that was ever born on earth is also the first person to ever kill anybody on earth. Isn't that incredible? How pervasive is our sin? How broken is our nature? But this is the story of Cain and Abel found in Genesis 4, 1 through 9. And it says this, Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Now we're not told in the story what the guidelines were for an acceptable offering at this time. But we can understand from God and Cain's conversation that Cain knew the offering that he brought to God was not the right offering. God asked him, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? So Cain knew what was right, but he chose not to do it. So, but, but before we get into why he didn't do it, what I want us to do is notice something. Cain worshipped. Well, he was a worshiper. He was bringing forth an offering to God as an act of worship. But his worship wasn't what God required. So while it made Cain feel good about himself to be doing something, he was actually a false worshiper. He wasn't doing it from his heart the way God called him to. He was doing it simply to fulfill a duty. Scripture talks about this type of worship elsewhere. In Isaiah 29, 13, the prophet tells the religious people of God, says this, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Jesus said the same thing to Matthew 15 to a group of Pharisees who were simply going through the motions of obeying God but had completely wrong motives. Likewise, Cain's example must serve as a warning for us to not just be religious or church attenders, but to give an offering that's truly called forth by God to worship in spirit and in truth. And in order to do so, guys, can I tell you that what comes part and parcel with that is loving one another. Just part of the message here, it goes into the example of what is false worship, right? And false worship, it doesn't define it necessarily what it is. It doesn't say false worship is when you didn't count enough lambs or false worship is when you go to church and fall asleep. That's not false worship. Please hear me very well because I've fallen asleep in many a church service, okay? It's okay. If you fall asleep right now, that's okay. What false worship is, is that what is your heart attitude? Who are you dependent on? to connect you to God. What is your attitude? What is your spirit state? And what I mean by that is this. False worship happens when we think we can pat ourselves on the back because we made a disservice and we're doing God a favor. False worship comes when we place ourselves in a position that we earn anything that on our own merit instead of saying we trust in the merit of Christ's work upon the cross for us. And this is a call that says false worship also happens when love is not at our heart. So not only was Cain a false worshiper, but his response to conviction of sin reveals the truth about his lack of faith as well. When God confronts Cain with the truth of what he did was right with worship, um, what he did, the correct response would have been to humble himself, ask for forgiveness, repent, and turn away from his sin. But instead, the very next words that Cain does, the very next thing that Cain does shows where his heart attitude was. But then Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And then he attacks him. Rather than responding in humility and submission to God, Cain responded with anger and violence. He didn't feel convicted over his own sin. He wasn't humble. 
He felt guilty and that made him mad at his brother who had done what is right. So Cain murdered Abel. And the word John uses here is actually a graphic word. John uses the word, uh, literally the phrase translates to cut his throat. So you could literally translate to slaughtered or butchered. And that's what Cain did to his brother. Not because Abel was evil, but because of the opposite, because Abel was righteous. It was out of jealousy. It was out of envy that Cain killed his brother. Now, I know most of you are thinking, I'm nothing like Cain. Whew, I'm good. I'm not going to do that to anybody. I'm okay. So you're like, so skip, next, next session. Can I tell you something? At the heart of Cain was one of jealousy, and jealousy was what led to murder. My people, how easy is it, is it for us to be jealous of others? Isn't it? I mean, you can go on social media and see perfect lives with perfect vacations and perfect families, and he can make you jealous, right? It's all fake, by the way. So don't, don't be that jealous. But you see people, blessings happening to people, and you might think, why do they get that and I don't? That promotion, that car, that inheritance, whatever it may be, guys, jealousy is at the root of his action. And can I tell you something, and I've seen this in the church, amongst the people of God, over and over, jealousy taking root. Can I tell you something? If something good happens to somebody you know, if something good happens to someone in around you, do you get jealous? Are you like Cain in this? Yes, I'm not saying you're murdering your brother. But do you hate? Do you get jealous? And I'm going to ask the harder things. Maybe it's like, oh, well, if my family members get it, I get the benefit. Woohoo, yay. But what about the people who are your enemies? What people you don't like very much? Is your heart one of jealousy? Is that what rules you? Is this what comes out of you? Is this feeling that says, well, why don't I get? I want. Why do they get? And can I tell you guys, let me tell you this, and this is what happens when you're a child of God. I'm not saying you're perfect, and I'm not saying you, you get everything, and I'm not saying you're never going to be jealous anymore. But here's what I'm saying, is when you're truly a child of God, and you realize how little you deserve everything you get, how little you deserve the gracious love of a father who's lavished love upon you. When you start understanding that, you start living that, you think, start thinking, oh man, I inherit forever, I inherit the kingdom, I inherit love, I inherit purpose, I get all of that because I did nothing to deserve it. Can I tell you, that starts fighting jealousy in your life. Do you see that? See, the result of being a child of God, a child that acknowledges that you were broken, had nothing to offer, had nothing in you to offer anything to God, but he loved you, he chose you, he took you, and he gave you the world. Man, that changes your perspective, doesn't it? Jealousy doesn't rule you then. When you have it all then, you have all that you need in that. So then contrary to Cain, John now moves us into a positive example of love. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Following Jesus' example, verse 16 tells us that we're to lay down our lives for others. Now, that's a major part of the definition of how John describes love, is putting others above ourselves. Love is sacrificial. That's what makes it special. Rather than focusing on ourselves, we're giving to another. This is a continuation of looking at Cain's example. Instead of being driven to jealousy, we need to be driven to love each other sacrificially. And what a concept that is, sacrificially loving. 
Because here's the deal. In America, we're really good about saying we love people. Right? We're really good about singing songs about love, but we're not the best at is sacrificially loving others. Sacrificially. Sacrificially is offering something to giving us something. Why was Abel's offering deemed worthy? Because he gave the best. Now some of you might argue with me, but I'll tell you, what makes meat delicious, if you guys don't know this, I'm just gonna let you know this, is the fat. Right? Can I get an amen to that, anybody? There are some chefs in this place, right? That's what makes meat delicious, is the fatty parts, right? The fat makes meat delicious. It's got good marbleization. Oh, man. Now I want a steak. No, but <laughs> that's what makes it delicious. And here's what Abel offered. He offered the best, the highest quality, the fattiest, the choicest part of the meat in the offering up to God. Guys, can I tell you something? Here's what we're really good at in this age of excess, in this age of wealth that we have in America, in this privileged time, is we're really, really good at giving the leftovers. We're really, really good at giving the gristle. I'm like, I don't want to eat that part. Or I'm so stuffed. Here's have the rest. God, just say something, that's not sacrificial. God's called us to love sacrificially. God's called us to love when it hurts. God's called us to love people maybe, um, it's easy to love people who, who you like maybe. It's easy to love people and serve people who are kind to you and who can kind of maybe pay you back. But it's a lot harder to love people who you kind of annoy you, right? Or you don't get anything back from. My people, God's called us to love sacrificially. I was gonna try to come up with an example. I was like, what's a good example of a good sacrificial love? But you know what I realized something? John just gave us the best example. That's Jesus dying upon the cross. That is the example. That is sacrifice. There's no illustration I can come up with that is better than the example of Jesus saying, no, no, for those who sinned against me, for those who forsaken me, for those who cried crucify me, for those who want nothing to do with me, I will lay my life down upon the cross for them. Sacrificial love. What a concept. Could you imagine a church, a group of believers who rally together and truly start to love each other in this self-sacrificial manner, in this self-sacrificial way? Not being about getting their own agenda across or making sure they're seen as right all the time, but instead being about people, those who are the most loving, being known as the people who are most caring and the most sacrificial. Do you guys remember what Jesus prayed for in John 17? He wanted his followers, the church, to love as he loved the Father and the Father loved him. He wanted unity. He wanted sacrifice. He wanted humility. He prayed for these things. He wanted these things not, things not only so that we could better understand his heart and be transformed by it, but so that the world would be transformed by it as well. Guys, the world isn't transformed when we constantly tell them what we're against and tell them how bad they are. They're transformed when they see a type of love that blows their worldly minds and go against everything they think is normal. Can I say that again? The world isn't transformed when we tell them how bad they are and everything that we're against. The world's transformed when they see us living a sacrificial love that blows their mind because it doesn't make any sense. It's then that the church best represents who God is. John goes on to say that love isn't simply felt or thought, but it must be active. In verse 18, says, Dear children, let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We know what actions mean. What does John, why does John mention truth here? 
Because we need to understand there's both an internal and external side of love. The internal side is our motivation, which, as we saw with Cain, must be pure. Our motivation is to love God and the, and, and, and the way he loves us and is loving in truth. But the external side of love is put love to work as Jesus did. It must be in place as well. So if there's no action to back up a world, we need the truth of the gospel and who God is and the truth of the world. And then when that comes together with sacrificial love and truth, action and in truth, indeed, the world has never been the same after that. Guys, can I tell you something? There's a lot of people who proclaim the name of Christ and they, all they care about is truth. And there's a lot of people who might proclaim the name of Christ and all they care about is some action. We need to show action and truth because to be truly loving is to tell the truth even when it's hard. Do you guys hear me? But to be, to be truly truthful and true to the true essence of the gospel is also to be radically loving and sacrificial. So along in the first part of chapter three, we see John presenting this picture that a child of God needs to pursue righteousness and love. That these are two clear signs of fruit. That these are, these are signs that you're a child. It's like looking at my son and being like, oh, how do I know that he's a you? Well, he looks like Lawrence. Right? If you look at Josiah, he's got this big head and he's built like me. And you can be like, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's Lawrence's son. And for us, how do people know? Are you, are you God's children? Are you God's son? Well, because we should show righteousness and love. Does that make sense? Oh, that's a, that's a you. Or, that's a follower of Jesus. They show righteousness and love. Now, there are two different temptations that can arise from this passage. Something bad can always come from something good, or it's possible to misinterpret something or overinterpret good things and make it something bad. It's possible for one to think that in order to become a child of God, one needs to pursue righteousness and love others. That's not the case. Do you hear me? It's possible when you read this that you think, oh, so I need to pursue righteousness, I need to be righteous, and I need to love others sacrificially for me to become a child of God. That is not the case. Hear me very clear, that is not the case. Your pursuit of holiness and loving others doesn't earn you status as a child of God. We're not saved by our efforts, we're not saved by our good works, we're not saved by loving one another, we're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? But the other temptation or bad thing that comes from this is one is over-examining, doubting their own salvation or whether they're not they're a child of God. I mean, isn't it easy to look at this passage and be like, do I pursue righteousness enough? Isn't it easy to look at this passage and be like, I don't know if I sacrificially love enough, and all of a sudden you can be sitting here and be like, am I not a child of God? Right? Do you get that? Do you guys see that temptation? So John addresses that in the end of chapter three. In 19 says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. In verse 20, John says, there's a scenario, there's this possibility that our hearts may condemn us. We are children of God. We have faith in Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We're on our way to glory, but our hearts are condemning us. We're under conviction of sin, maybe. We start questioning, am I loved? Am I a child? I messed up again, or I messed up all the time. How can I be a child of God? And John gives us assurance here. He's giving us a word of comfort. He says in this scenario, you need to look to God and God is greater than your sins. God has forgiven you in the name of Jesus Christ. You look to him, you look to the cross, you look to Jesus and your heart may be comforted. In other words, guys, what he's saying is when the voices start speaking to you, they start saying, look, you're not so loving. 
They start to say, you're not so righteous. Look at all you do wrong. Look at all your motivations. You must not be a child of God. It's in this time that we need to be reminded that what led to our salvation and adoption was God himself choosing you and loving you. You didn't earn it. If in the future, my son Hudson does something wrong and feels guilty over it, it is shame if he starts to question whether he is my son or not, or if I love him or not. My prayer in that moment is my son Hudson will look at me, look to see all that I've said and all that I've done, look to see the truth of his identity and sees that he will always and forever be my beloved boy. That he's always my son and nothing will change that. He did nothing to earn his adoption. He did nothing to merit it. But God called us together God chose me and Gina to be his parents, chose us to love him and adopt him and bring him into our family. So there's nothing he did to choose and warrant his adoption. There's nothing he's gonna do that's gonna separate me from my love for him. He will always and forever be my son and I will never want him to doubt for a moment that he's mine. Can I tell you something, that we can be assured that we are the children of God by looking at the rest of scripture, looking at the heartbeat and the nature of God where it says that he, out of his goodness, out of his love, chose you for adoption. He predestined you into relationship with him. That's his power, his choice, not your work. So that if he chose you, he loves you, he adopted you, there is no power in earth, under the earth, in heaven above, or anywhere else that can separate you from his love. Do you get that? Romans 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Our God is true to his word. And there is no power that can separate you from his love. This is who he says he is. And so rest assured when the voices start speaking to you, when you start questioning, rest assured that when you look to God and look to his nature, look to the work of Jesus, know that he loves you, he's called you, and when he's called you, that his spirit did the regenerative work in you and has sealed you. And the doubt payment is placed upon you, you're his forever. Do you get that? This is assurance to you. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if your heart has never believed, has never confessed, if your mouth has never expressed, if you're listening to this sermon today, if you're watching this sermon online today, let me tell you this, that you can now yourself be known as a child of God. If there's a stirring in your heart, if God is moving in you and saying, there's something that I've always longed for, I don't know what it is, but I'm hearing you and I want to know what it's like to be a child of God. I want to know what it's like to to be in relationship with the God of the universe. There's something called me. I want to know what it means to have my sins forgiven and I want to know how to pursue righteousness and to walk in sacrificial love. I want to know Jesus. Let me tell you that this opportunity is here for you today. You can know. Because God has made himself known. He's made himself known to you through Jesus. And so the invitation for you who don't know today is that come and know him today. 
And if you'd like, if you're online, you're always welcome to email any of the pastors, any of the staff. We'd love to talk to you. And if you're here today during our worship set, we invite you to grab me, grab one of the elders, grab somebody next to you. It could be a complete stranger. Be like, hey, who do I talk to? Because I want to know. We'd love to talk to you. I believe the human condition is this. You've heard me say this 50 million times. So if you're playing Waypoint Bingo again, if you brought that back up. But I believe the human condition is this, that we want to be known we want to be loved, and we crave purpose. And over and over again, this, I find that the truest way to be known and loved and having purpose is understanding your identity as a child of God. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. My people, may we be known as people who pursue righteousness and love others sacrificially. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that kind of love that you first given to us. God, we can love like this because you first loved us like that. You were the example, you were the model, you were the illustration that goes beyond all illustrations. You show us that we can love sacrificially because Jesus, you first loved us sacrificially. God, we thank you for your pursuit. God, we thank you for your adoption. That you've called us into family, that we are called the pursuers of righteousness and love love. God, may we be that. May that be our identity as the followers of Jesus, as beloved children of God. May they see that we look like you, that we resemble you. May the world see that we look like you and resemble you because we pursue righteousness and because we love so sacrificially. Thank you that we called to inherit that, that mission. So you move in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.